to nobody's surprise, you guys have a whole bunch of questions about defense, and I'm here to answer them. Welcome to Twitter Tuesday on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You like that? Three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. You can also find the show on Amazon Fire or Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash on today to get started. It's Twitter Tuesday, and that means I'm answering your questions here on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You can send me questions whenever you like on uh, Twitter at LukeBronNFL or at Locked On Vikings. You can send me questions via email at LockedOnVikingsPodcast at gmail.com or fill out the Google form in the show notes or leave a YouTube comment if you prefer. And the first question a whole bunch of like half of these questions are going to be defensive stuff so i hope you guys are ready to listen to defense talk because that's going to be the show today the first one comes from james k who asks what kind of traits in a corner would be needed for man match and for zone match based on those traits which scheme matches better with our current corner room so this is an interesting question uh and it's going to take a while to explain so i'm actually going to take a while here and try to explain the large difference between zone match and man match. I don't think I did a good enough job of that on yesterday's show where I talked about the candidates um, that the Vikings have requested for interviews so far. And by the way, they did interview Nielsen. That one's out of the way. So just uh, Brian Flores and Sean Desai remain and whoever else they request, if they request anybody else. Um, That's where we're at there. The key difference between zone match and man match is in the rule sets that determine what your job is. And the framework is entirely different. Um, It's like a totally different way of thinking, I guess. Um, And I promise I'm getting to how this applies to cornerback specifically, but stick with me. So in the man-match world, this is Mike Zimmer, this is Brian Flores, this is Ryan Nielsen. Um, The typical coverage structure will be some sort of rule set that tells you who you're covering, and then you will man-to-man cover that guy or bracket over the top of him or whatever, depending. Um, So a typical call would be one like Stubby is a very uh, common one. Stubby is a call for when there's three receivers on one side of the field, like three by one. Um, Ryan Nielsen comes from... Dennis Allen loved to live in in Stubby against three by one. Like That was his kind of go-to bread and butter coverage. So if you hire Ryan Nielsen, this is very pertinent. Um, Stubby, the outside corner is playing man to man on the number one. That means the outermost guy is just straight up pure man to man coverage. So if you're looking for a corner, you need somebody that can do pure man to man coverage with no help over the top. And then on the inside, you kind of have this triangle three over two, everybody helping everybody kind of situation where the hook, who's usually the linebacker over there, has anything the three does that's short, so the the innermost guy, the slot receiver or whatever, anything he does short, that's the linebacker's job. Or if he goes across, that becomes the linebacker's job. If he goes deep, then it's the safety's job. If the three goes deep, the safety takes him. If the three and the two go deep, the safety takes the three, 
and the slot corner or the apex is what uh, I've heard it called um, takes the two. So then you basically, if it's three vertical routes, it just becomes man to man coverage, right? Might get charted as cover one or something, but it wasn't, it was cover seven stubby or quarters stubby. Um, and you get the idea, right? It's kind of the series of if thens that tell you who you're covering the zone match world. It's a totally different system where you'll have kind of in say a, a cover six or cover eight structure, which is quarters to one side, halves to the other side, what the Vikings basically lived in, in 2022. Um, like, everybody's got a job and who does which job depends on the play call. So in one place, the play call, like in one system, the play call will tell you kind of what your flow chart is. In the other set of rules, everybody has, like every time you're the vertical hook, it is more or less the same set of rules to be a vertical hook in zone match. And what that means is that's like a, a very common linebacker's job. Uh, and that's where you read the eyes and then you read a route concept and anything that's coming over the middle is your responsibility. And if there's nothing over the middle, you turn into like alert defender and you read the quarterback's eyes and you try to break and jump on something. Um, so if, if you're there, or I'm sorry, vertical curl, not vertical hook, um, I think is the right word. Don't yell at me. <laughs> I'm still learning that stuff. I've only been looking at it since like February and I'm not as fast as learner. <laughs> but I, either way, like whenever you're the vertical curl defender, that is your job. Whereas if you're the apex in man match, your job can be any of a million things depending on what the play call is. And in zone match, the play call tells you who's the vertical curl, who is the, you know, what, who, what kind of technique the corner plays, what kind of um, technique the safety plays, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Are you a quarter safety or are you a half safety? Are you a squat corner or are you a deep quarter corner? It is, in my opinion, a simpler system when all is said and done, but that doesn't mean transitioning from one to the other is, like, easy, right? Um, so that's the general difference between zone match and man match. And when you're talking about skill sets, in man match, the cornerback will be in man coverage just more often. They're just going to be in more meg calls, more man everywhere he goes, I've just got you. Whereas in zone match, if you don't have corners that can play man-to-man, you can just call other stuff. And that's essentially the, the dilemma the Vikings were in, was that they were calling other stuff, but they could never go man-to-man. And when they did try to go man-to-man, the Giants game happened. Um, that's going to be, I think, how this thing goes down, even though it worked out okay for the, like four weeks leading up to that. They got into the playoffs and Giants shredded you. And they got a whole bunch of yards in the other game too, so didn't work. Um, so in a zone match world, man-to-man is a very helpful thing. Like It matters, but on the whole, it's going to be just called less for your corners, and you're going to need corners to be a little bit more versatile in their skill sets, be better at off coverage. They aren't going to press as much. Um... And it's just going to like ask them to do a, a larger number of things than I think a man match defense will, but a man match will ask your corners, like will ask more difficult things of the corners, even though there are fewer of them, you can specialize it a little more, but it's going to be a harder job. That's where I'm at on, on those things. That was a really long answer. And I've got a whole bunch of other questions. Um, so I'll try to get to as many as I can. Nate Walton said, having spent an off season studying and a regular season watching the Fangio defense, are there any defensive players from recent Vikings past that may have thrived in this scheme? I'm going to ignore that. You said recent. Cause I like, I want to talk about history stuff. Um, 
Bobby Bryant, big play Bobby Bryant, all the way back to the Purple People Eaters. He was one of the corners on the on those teams. I think would have been awesome in the zone match world. Um, he had a, a very much like eye for the ball, was really good at like jumping and breaking on things. He could also play man when he had to. Um, and he was a big time turnover generator. That was a, a really cool deal. Um, I think like on the flip side, somebody like Paul Krause wouldn't necessarily be at home in this current defense where I think ideally you can do a lot more different things. Paul Krause was a center fielder. Put him in a cover three structure or in just a cover one structure, have him play free high safety, roam around and try to pick the ball off. That's what that was like where he was at home. Um, other guys, I mean, go back to the eighties and a whole bunch of those guys would like Matt Blair would have been awesome in a defense like this. I mean, that was a three, four in the eighties with the, like the Chris Dolman kind of era. Um, with like Keith Millard and those guys, that was a little bit more of a, a a three four structure. So I don't take your favorite guy off of those defenses. Those were some awesome defenses in the kind of heyday of the late eighties of the Jerry Burns era. Patrick Nissler says when Kevin O'Connell was hired and he hired Ed Donatel, he talked about his vision of being multiple on both sides of the ball, meaning you don't give away what you're doing pre snap. Why are people not talking about this as his overall goals? Everyone's talking about three four versus four three. Um, so I to that point. Um, three, four versus four, three is the other kind of big difference here. Um, Brian Flores will live in both structures. Ryan Nielsen would live in both structures. Sean Desai would be a little bit more samey with his fronts. And I don't think in a good way, at least according, if you kind of graft what happened in Seattle onto him. Um, so I think that's a point in the other two guys favor if you, if you're looking for that. Um, but Kevin O'Connell has also said, you know, three, four versus four, three is only really a distinction when you're in your base personnel, which only happens when the other team comes out with two running backs or two tight ends or, or, or more. And that's just not that common. It's 20% of plays. Most, most teams are living in 11 personnel where you're in your nickel and a four, three nickel and a three, four nickel are pretty similar. The front spacing is a little different. Um, and if you really want to get into the nuances, there's some interesting stuff there. But the real key is is man match versus zone match, which is why I'm focusing on that a lot more than I'm focusing on 4-3 versus 3-4. To your question, um, yeah, the Vikings failed at that. They, they kind of came out saying a lot about how they would be, you know, we're going to be multiple and we're going to have everything was going to look exactly the same pre-snap. It was always going to start two high safeties, but then things guys would rotate and guys would move around a little bit. And I don't think they, they just didn't do very much of that. And I think any of the three guys that they're hiring right now would do that more or that they're interviewing right now would do that more. Um, and again, we'll see if they add anybody else to the mix. I have a whole bunch more questions. I spent way too long on the zone match, match versus man match one, but I wanted to give you that. Um, so we'll, we'll get to the rest of these questions. I promise. But first, it is NFL playoff time, and we here at Locked On are very excited about our new sports betting partner, FanDuel. It's the number one sports book in America, and if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers, you can join today and get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. They have everything you always want to bet on. They've got their player props that you can parlay stuff. You can... Uh, put together money lines, point spreads, and all of the regular things as well. Um, they're number one for a reason, y'all. And you can go bet on, I I don't know how I feel about these championship games right now. I, I'm feeling the Eagles. The Eagles feel very unstoppable to me. 
But I swear to God, every time I'm like, that team feels unstoppable, they lose the next game. Like, that happened to me. The Packers felt super unstoppable last year. They lost in the first the first game they played. Um, the Bills felt super unstoppable to me this year. They lose to Cincinnati. So I don't know. Maybe I suck at this. And I, uh, But if you think you're smarter than me, and a decent chance you are, I got outguessed by my rabbits this year. Uh, go, go to FanDuel. Um, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So... Don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Thanks again for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. For your second listen, check me out on Locked On NFL. I'm with Ross Jackson. We're talking about quarterbacks. Talked a little Dak, a little Danny Dimes, a little Aaron Rodgers, and sort of dooming about the Packers situation. <laughs> so go check it out. Um... Let's move on, though, with this Twitter Tuesday mailbag. Next question comes from Bradley Knorr. We are still deep in the defense questions, by the way, uh, who says, would you prefer the Vikings find a couple of startable free agent corners or draft one in round one? And if we don't go quarter round one, what positions would be top priority? Uh, both is the answer to that. Um, again, three corners under contract. Uh, Duke Shelley and Patrick Peterson, everybody's assuming that they come back. That is not a given. I, I would like it, but... Certainly not something you can hang your hat on quite yet. Free agency is a dynamic process. Um, if you miss out on those guys, you have to bring in, you probably have to bring in two or three bodies at least. And whether or not you call them depth or a starter depends on how good you do. And then, yeah, I, I think that they are more priced in than is comfortable with drafting a corner in, in round one. Like it kind of has to be. If not, um, God, they could like reach on a center, but I don't think any of these centers are first round guys. It sounds like it sounds like it's more of a, uh, they're, they're more of a day two kind of proposition, which is where centers tend to land anyways. It's more of a positional value thing too. So I guess you could do that. Uh, wide receivers, an interesting option. Somebody asked if I thought, uh, the Vikings would draft a wide receiver in the YouTube comments. Sure. I think that's absolutely like a viable option. Um, but then you just kind of be accepting that your corner room is going to be thin, if not a huge problem all year. Uh, and maybe that's worth it if you get a wide receiver that you really like, right? Like we'd take that for, you know, if you found Justin Jefferson again, you would probably take that trade. Um, Zach McDermott says, why were the Vikings 16th in EPA per play on defense when everything else thought that they were bottom five, including DVOA? So I can't, I can't speak to any of this, uh, to all the stats you're talking about. I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but the diff one of the key differences between EPA and DVOA, I believe is, well, for, for one, it's a slightly different version of sort of a similar thing. Both stats are asking the question, did you do well enough on this play to keep yourself on schedule? I guess is a, a vague way to put it. And DVOA looks from a down and distance perspective and their measuring stick is versus historical data. So did you do better than teams historically do from second and six from the 35 in the second quarter with two timeouts or whatever? Um, EPA looks at, did you put yourself in better scoring position in a sort of a matrix, I guess, that is trained on historical data. So, hey, teams historically score from this position 30% of the time. Did you turn that to 32 or is it down to 28 now? That's kind of oversimplifying the way that those um, stats sort of differ. Uh, and so I think, and gosh, I I don't know the guts of these things well enough, and a lot of it's proprietary. My guess, though, would be that they're just treating turnovers a lot differently, and the 
DVOA, or no, I'm thinking of uh, QBR has a garbage time filter. I think DVOA has a win probability like adjuster too. And a lot of the Vikings' best moments happened at times where their win probability was in the negative. Um, gosh, I could be amazingly wrong about that though. So correct me if I am. Um, but the, I mean, the Vikings, you know, they were in a lot of crazy comeback situations. Everything they did in the Colts game, for example, was treated as it didn't matter because they didn't have any chances to win anyways, which obviously like falls apart logically. Um, and then I think turnovers, especially late turnovers get really wonky with a lot of these things. And these models will treat that kind of thing a lot differently depending on how they view like the sustainability of that and stuff. And there's a much bigger debate to have that I'm going to get bored with pretty quickly. Uh, Michael Schneider says, I see some people saying we should dump Zadarius Smith due to his decline in stats in the latter half of the season. I didn't see that personally. Was there really a decline in player? Was that more due to our coverage being awful? Uh, probably coverage being awful. I do not. I mean, he, he had a little knee thing that might've slowed him down a little bit, but from what I saw, he was winning pass rushes a lot. Um, pass rush win rate won't catch it though, because the ball. So pass rush win rate is something that people I think are going to be citing a lot to kind of show that these players aren't good or whatever pass rush win rate, like ESPN's model of it treats a pass rush win as if you got to the quarterback in less than, I think it's two and a half seconds, but for the Vikings, the coverage was so bad. The ball was out before two and a half seconds. So there's no opportunity to get a pass rush win, right? Um, the ball was out too quickly, basically. And then the play ends before the model can determine if you won or lost the pass rush, right? It basically says you didn't have enough time. I don't know how it handles those, if it counts those as losses or if it counts those as neutrals. Um, you'd have to ask somebody at ESPN about that or somebody who knows the stat better. Uh, but that kind of thing is also like, it might lead you astray if you're not like acutely aware. So yeah, be, be careful on that kind of stuff. Um, no, they should. Zedaria Smith was their best defensive player. I, it's really, really hard for you to make any other argument. He was one of their only consistently good defensive players. Statistically, things dried up because, yeah, because the coverage was bad. Um, that's not his fault. And the contract was really built for them to have an out in case of injury. And that didn't happen. So I don't foresee them getting rid of Zedaria Smith. He's also a really big, energetic leader on the team. And I think the Vikings need that really bad. Uh, Dan H says, do you think Jalen Rager has much of a future on the Vikings? Seems like he's got potential, but just never seemed on the same page as everyone else. No, I don't. I'd have to see something really big next year. He's under contract next year, so he'll come into, he's not going to get cut. He'll come into camp. Um, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe he's a cap casualty or something if they want a nickel and dime, but he'll come into camp most likely. He'll compete for that like wide receiver for a job. If I had to put money on it, I'm putting money on Naylor to win or a rookie to win it. Um, over, over, over Rager. And then I think he walks and he's a punt returner for a couple of years. And that's what you bought with, what was it? Like a four for a six or something like that. I forget the actual trade term or no, it was a five and a seven. I don't know. Day three picks and you've got a punt returner for two years. I guess that was the deal. Um, gosh, I have so many questions. I'm going to have to rip through them. Uh, but I, you know what? No regrets. We talked about some cool defensive scheme stuff, so we'll get into the rest of them in a sec. Moving on with this Twitter Tuesday mailbag. Next one comes from Jeremiah J, who says, I'm curious if Dalvin Cook is expendable. Should the Vikings trade or not re-sign him for other assets and let Madison start? Um, so Alexander Madison is a pending free agent. So if you want Alexander Madison to start, you have to give him a second contract, which I do not foresee the Vikings doing. 
I think a team will give him a contract to be a starter. I, I think he's earned that in this league. I'm not sure I see it being with the Vikings. Um, but is Dalvin Cook expendable? So every option is on the table with Dalvin Cook. You can. He's going to play on $14 million. So I think not touching his contract and just leaving it as is is probably the worst option to me. But you can just do a simple restructure, which you don't have to negotiate. You can do a renegotiation and try to get something better than that. You can cut or trade him, which would save almost $8 million. I think all of that is viable uh, and defensible, depending on what other things it comes with in the offseason. Like maybe they just don't need the money from cutting Dalvin Cook. Um, in my cap simulation, I cut Dalvin Cook, but I also made it very clear that like, yay, there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat, you know? Um, but I don't, I, I would say Dalvin Cook's chances to stay in Minnesota and be a Minnesota Viking next year are a lot higher than Madison's as I look at it right now. Uh, Zach B says, since two of our two top picks, uh, Andrew Booth and Lewis seen missed most of last year. Can I trick myself into thinking that our draft stock isn't that bad because they're basically rookies and our defense will be better even with a new DC. Um, love the optimism. I, I love the idea of treating those players as rookies, which means you shouldn't expect like starting caliber play because scene got hurt, which sucks. He's basically a year behind on his development track and that blows. There's nothing you can do about it. It just sucks. Um, but you kind of have to grade him on that curve, I think. And, and hopefully, well, unless they change back to a different scheme and then he's got to learn a whole new scheme from scratch, that's also going to put him behind the eight ball. So the circumstances are not great for Lewis scene um, or Andrew Booth right now for, for that class of rookies, Osmo, all these defensive rookies. Um, for like, depending on what they do, there's kind of a whole bunch of answers and that, that, that could really put those guys behind the eight ball and that should lower what you expect from them. And you can be mad about that, uh, in terms of like management of your young guys. Right. But what I will say about their draft stock, I know it's, Oh my God, they only have four draft picks and everybody's flipping out about it. Um, in the second round, the Vikings selected TJ Hawkinson. <laughs> They, they got something for this, right? They don't, they didn't just piss away the draft picks. They got a player that ended up being kind of the number two receiver after Jefferson. I think most people are pretty happy with that trade. I certainly am. Uh, and somebody asked like, how can you recoup the draft pick? Jacob Tobin asked, how do you get additional picks for the Vikings? Um, you can maneuver the trade charts. There's a lot of ways to, to create surplus value just like on draft day by doing draft draft day trades with teams who are really in love with a certain guy. Um, again, there, there are players you could absolutely trade away if you wanted to. Kendricks, Dalvin Cook is one of those. Um, interestingly, Zadarius Smith is one of those, although again, I, I wouldn't do it. And as an older player, I don't see as much of a market for him as I do for somebody like Kendricks. Um, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways to do that if you want, or you just not do it. That's okay. Just roll in with what you got. You spent your draft picks on a veteran. That is a fair thing to do. And you don't have to recoup it. I think everybody's really obsessed with getting to that perfect one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or better. Um, that there's no requirement that you do that. Uh, they can just roll in with what they have. It's 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 not that bad. I promise. Denver asks with Sean Desai, is there any future concern about head coach Buzz with him? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's totally part of it. I think it's part of it with any of these guys. Ryan Nielsen is very well respected. I think around the league is like a leadership figure. He's kind of, I guess in New Orleans, he's like Dan Campbell part two. So maybe he gets a head coach job job too. And, and Brian Flores has been a head coach. And maybe once 
all that lawsuit all that lawsuit stuff blows over maybe he gets a little buzz too if you know all ends well there um yeah, I think that's absolutely a consideration. Now, I will say defensive guys don't get it as much, and that was a lot of the the argument that I heard incessantly about getting an offensive head coach was that you know your defensive guys just aren't going to get poached as often as your offensive guys will because um, everybody wants the hot new you know schemer guy. But it is still very much uh, a consideration and probably something you're going to deal with for the entire time Kevin O'Connell's here. You get a coach on one side of the ball, you lose the coach on the other side of the ball all the time. It's just how it works, and if... Desai is good enough and the defense turns around well enough that he gets a head coach job. Probably not going to have too many regrets about that. Uh, the Mad asks, what is Rob Brzezinski's job? I know he's VP of football ops, but what does he do exactly? So he's cap strategist. All the stuff that we do on the over the cap simulators or you talk about who should be the cap casualties and stuff. Um, he is giving you kind of the numbers for that. He's in the sort of brain trust of the room saying, well, this will cost that. And he's also the the contract constructor, I guess. He's the the, the brains behind something like Zadarius Smith's contract. So you'll go to him and say, we want to sign Zadarius Smith. Here's our cap situation in 2022. Here's your, find a way to make it happen. And he'll draft up a contract and says, okay, here's what I think is going to happen. And then his, I believe he also manages the the staff that negotiates that if he, if, if not just like him by himself. Um, so the structures of those contracts are Brzezinski's design. He's kind of the mastermind of that. Um, and I think he's got a million other responsibilities, but that's what his, I think, main contribution to the Vikings on field uh, product is. Uh, Gabe asks, you wake up tomorrow as Quasi Adolfa Coincidentally, Ryan Poles is on the phone. He feels like he missed out on the in-division draft day trades and offers you the number one overall pick for Kendricks, Hunter, and Harrison Smith. Do you take it? And if so, what do you do with it? Um, yeah, I slam that, right? Especially if they take the contracts. But even if not, the value is there. The number one overall pick is incredibly valuable. I take it and I slam Jalen Carter, the, the Georgia kid everybody's super stoked on, right? He's supposed to go number one overall. Um, at least that's how I feel here in January. <laughs> but once I study the prospects a lot more, somebody else asked, like, who do I want to take in the draft? I, I have no, I know like three names right now. Um, we, we've got time. We'll get to that, I promise. Uh, but yes, I slam that. The Bears can take all those contracts with all that cap space they tanked a year to make. Good for you guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I, I slammed Jalen Carter to start rebuilding the defense. I just torpedoed for the number one overall pick. I guess, wow, man, no, I don't take Jalen. What am I talking about? I take the number one overall pick and I trade it down to the Colts for a quarterback and I get a whole bunch of extra draft capital. That's what it is. And then I slam whoever the best defensive player on the on the board is. Um, if there's a corner that's worth that high up. Like if there's a sauce gardener in this draft, I'll take him, but I don't know if I've heard about one yet. Um, Connor M says, what do you think Quasi's approach to the off season would could, or how do you think that could differ from other GMs that don't have his wall street background? Trader Quasi, baby. <laughs> don't trade with a trader. Isn't that what you said? I, I think that's going to be what it is. Is that there's going to be a lot more deal making going on. And he's always going to be a little more, uh, open to those deals, especially in the draft. What we learned about him last year is that whatever trade charts he's using are value-based and not market-based, which means he is using the like the the war charts, the real nerd ones. The analytics people loved the, the, like the Lions trade um, because he is chasing what those picks typically tend to turn out to be 
and less chasing what the market thinks those picks should be worth, which the draft trade market overvalues draft position. Trading up is more expensive than it ought to be, and trading down is cheaper than it ought to be. So he will trade down a lot. Um, and I think teams will feel like they got the better of him in those transactions, and he will feel like he got the better of them, which means that is an environment where a lot of trading can happen. And I don't think that that's exclusive to just the draft, but I think it will show up there a lot. Uh, Michael Chazen Chazen says, uh, remember when you proposed a Kirk Cousins to Pittsburgh trade to your Steelers counterpart, to Christopher Carter? Do you remember how he scoffed at you and said, oh, no, you don't. If such a trade was made, how do you think this Vikings and Steelers fare in the 2022 season? You'll have to check me on this, but if I remember, I didn't have specific trade terms. I was just trolling Christopher Carter. (laughs) I was just screwing with him. Um, Check me on that. I know there's a YouTube video up there somewhere, and the podcast is up as well, so yell at me if I'm wrong. But um, probably, well, the the Steelers are really happy with Kenny Pickett right now. Um, So in the world where we probably pick Pickett then with, with, the pick. I think it was, I, I would have done like a first and a third or something like that, which turned out to be way higher than anyone was willing to offer for Kirk Cousins when all was said and done. I don't think the Vikings got anything close to that coming in. Um, and maybe they would have taken it if they did. I think the best that I know that they got or that I heard that they got, I, I, I can't confirm it, but it sounded like there was two seconds and Baker Mayfield was the best that they got. They probably do that in a post. No, they because they they wouldn't have done the extension, so they would have actually only had like 10 mil dead. They would have had a much cleaner cap situation, but then we would have been sitting there going, Is Kenny Pickett a good quarterback, or did we just totally screw everything up? And the Steelers are almost certainly a better team because they don't have to start Mitch Trubisky for half the season. Uh, so the Steelers probably make the playoffs, bump Miami out, maybe they make a run as a, as a weird little uh underdog, but other than that, I, I think future wise. Like, I don't think either team is happier, honestly, with a deal like that. Uh, Alexander the Dane says, in your opinion, what would be the most likely moves the Vikings would make, assuming that they will stay with their competitive rebuild strategy? So I've talked about a bunch of moves that I think they could make or couldn't or whatever, but what I will say is I don't think you're going to hear competitive rebuild anymore from the Vikings. They have they've shifted to championship standard. Now now they're saying we're we're trying to build a championship team here, so we're going to do stuff for that. I think the the rebuild year was the last year. That was supposed to be the rebuild year. They ended up winning 13 games in it. Good for you. But that was the year that they thought was going to be the, the the year of, well, we're going to make some weird moves to balance our books. We're eating this big Anthony Barr dead cap hit. We're going to do a couple of restructures and stuff to give ourselves outs in these contracts. We're going to, we've got this cap squeeze that's still sort of left over from the, the, the COVID years that sort of depressed everything. Um, and then 2023 and onward. Okay. Now we're just a normal team trying to win championships. Um, finally, RJ Frost says, is it true that only your rabbits know the difference between inside zone inside zone and duo? And if so, why won't they share this information with the world? Uh, yes, that is true. They won't share that information with the world because you don't deserve that. Uh, the humanity hasn't earned it. Um, gotta do better at climate change guys. <laughs> so in all seriousness, uh, if you are on film Twitter a lot, you might have heard inside zone or duo and see a lot of plays that look very similar. Cause it's really hard to tell the difference between inside zone and duo. They, the blocking structures are often very similar between an inside zone run and a duo run. So if you're looking at that, here's the best way that I know how to tell. Um, first watch the feet. 
O-line feet, running back feet. Pay attention to nothing else. Don't pay attention to where the double teams are, who's blocking who or whatever. Watch the feet. In zone, a running back's feet will start sideways, and then they will bend back. They will curve back. If you ever see like a 90-degree like a pivot in the running back's footwork, that's zone, baby. Um, duo, especially coming out of shotgun, um, they'll sort of take, they'll try to get horizontal mo- momentum taking the ball. In duo, they will take a, a hop at the quarterback, grab the ball from him, and then start straight up and down. So you're, you're going for that east-west. And it can be sometimes hard to tell if the zone run ends up being toward a gap that is perfectly north-south just by like coincidence. It gets hard to tell. Also look at the lineman. This has very rarely led me astray. It has, but not often. The offensive lineman in duo will be trying to get push. They're trying to move guys. The, a, a lot of the rules are the same in terms of like covered, uncovered. If you, if you don't have a guy in front of you, just get to the linebacker. So that can trick people into thinking duo is zone. That got me once uh, recently on, on the last one that I saw. But it was one from the, the Vikings playoff game, actually. But for the most part, linemen will be pushing upward. They'll be trying to sled guys back, whereas in zone, they're going to be trying to get lateral motion, and they're going to try to seal guys off, and it's all about creating lanes rather than pushing for space. That's the difference between inside zone and duo. Best I can do it. Um, but also, don't be sad about getting it wrong. The In the play that, I was, that, that got me, Jeff Schwartz and David Bakhtiari, two guys that had long careers as NFL offensive linemen, did not initially agree and had to like work to figure it out. It's hard. <laughs> Don't feel bad if you get stuff wrong. It's okay to be wrong about football things. That's how we learn. Um, I will keep going with stuff. I don't know what we're going to talk about tomorrow. You don't know what we're going to talk about tomorrow. And that is the fun surprise of it. I don't, I'll figure something out. We'll maybe talk about some uh, one-on-one stuff. We'll maybe talk about a couple of specific contract things. I don't know. Whatever you guys want hit me up, leave a comment. What do you want me to talk about? Cause we're in the off season and that means it's all on the table. Now it's all fair game. Hit me up. Um, come to me with that tomorrow and we'll talk about it. See y'all then. And as always skull. <laughs>